listening to Good Morning, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humor. Guys, welcome back to the Good Morning podcast. And Sal, it's so nice to see your face this morning. How are you doing? I know it's that tricky time of the year for you. So nice to see your face, mate. I'm doing all right, although I do feel like I have grief face today. I'm not going to lie. New listeners, grief face is our term for when, you know, you just feel a bit flat and your face just feels like it's just a bit griefy. It's hard to explain, but it's just, you know what I mean? It's a bit... It ages you. Grief ages you. Like my, I've got a problem with my eyelid. Like one of my eyelids is literally just like starting to sag since my mum died. I'm like, fucking thanks, mum. Like, cheers well, it's for just, that. It's the stress, right? You know, your body, yeah. the emotional response to grief mm. and the stress response, it does stuff to you. Like you, I mean, you went grey, didn't you? Like after I'm your mum I'm so grey. I've now started to dye my hair, which I never did. I was like loved my na- natural. Well, I did when I was younger, but like I loved my natural color, so I just didn't ever dye it. And now I have to dye it because the whole crown of my head is grey, and all around the the front, like it's just yeah. That, and I'm in my late thirties, well, mid thirties. Yeah, so, mid th- you're still in your mid. Yeah, no, you, your, I know. I learned that from now. you the other day. You're mid. mid Embrace yeah. the mid thirties, mate. Oh, Embrace. I'm trying. I'm I've... trying. <laughs> embracing the gray and the sagging eyelid but anyway grief face is a real thing it is and like after mum died I felt like my face changed shape and when I look back at some of our early photos of you and I our like original podcast title and also some of the photos that we did for press when we launched my face looks different it looks rounder and I remember my auntie saying in only the way my auntie can in a loving way but just like she was like oh yeah me and Laura my cousin who will be listening to this sorry laura oh yeah laura and i were talking about how yeah your face is filled out a bit it looks good and i was like oh my god yes it has changed but i felt like it changed shape for a while i feel like it's gone i don't know like what happened with it, it was like inflammation stress we should we should get someone on the pod actually to grief talk face about expert a grief face expert is there anyone out there who is a grief face expert or like biology up. like what what's going on like can we kind of ch- feel like can our features change yeah, i'm sure people list, like we'd love to know if you're listening you feel like your face changed or you know you, your body changed and you didn't feel like yourself like let us know we'd love to hear your experiences oh and can i just say i have actually been thinking lately how beautiful you look like I always think that but like I don't know every time I catch up with you now I'm like just looking at you going wow you're so pretty so oh thanks mate yeah so don't feel like you're looking grief facey at the moment because I don't see that at all oh thank you that's really nice I appreciate (laughs) that um it's maybe it's the longer hair I don't know a bit more out natural I was bleach bob for many many years and i thought that it gave me an edge and then the older i got was like i just look old now with like peroxide blonde hair <laughs> you are <laughs> rocking the like longer hair huh you are rocking the longer hair thank you um, i'm long going longer like... too at the moment mine's heaps long yours is lovely is. anyway guys sorry we're now <laughs> moving into telling each other how much we love each Im, you had an ex, ex, I can't pronounce the word, you had a crisis recently, tell me about that. Oh, I had an existential crisis this morning, holy shit, okay, so I had, um, I went to the gym this morning, did my, you know, usual run, and then I got home, and I like, looked, so 
Ben, you guys all know who Ben is now. I don't have to say my partner. Ben, my partner, he has a reef tank, which has got like all tropical fish and it's coral. It's pride and joy, isn't oh, it's, it? it's everything to him. And he's so proud. Anyway, I got home from this run this morning and I like saw out of the corner of my eye downstairs in the carpet. This is like on the opposite end of the fish tank, by the way. I was like, Jesus, that looked like a big slug, like a massive slug. And I was like, oh, and then I went up closer to look at it and it was one of these fish had jumped out of the tank and literally wiggled itself all the way to the other side of the lounge room. I was like, oh my God, is it dead? I was like, Ben, your fish has jumped out of the tank. Like, um, He's like, is it alive? I was like, I don't know. So I start poking it and it starts wiggling. I was like, oh my God, it's still alive. I couldn't even pick it up. Anyway, Ben had to come down, like pick it up, put it in the tank. But it was so stressed and like struggling to breathe and... Oh. I had a I had a crisis. I started thinking about, oh my god, what if this fish dies? This fish has a whole life ahead of him, and I just know, like, since since you experience a big, like, significant loss, I can't even see an ant die. Like, I really struggle with death of any sorts, like fish, ants, everything. I don't know if you're all the same, but I've I've have heard that other people like you just have really existential crisis when you see like live, other living things dying. Well, yeah, because I think you realise how precious life is, right? No yeah. matter what, whether it's an animal, person, you know, yeah. it, it's precious. So absolutely, I can imagine that was absolute scenes in your house this morning. I can <laughs> picture it. I um, Ben and Ant were on the phone the other day catching up and mm. I heard them, like Ben was like taking Ant on a tour of his fish tank, like... Oh, sure. And uh, I actually got Ben, um, it was Ben's birthday recently, and I got him about, I was like, Im, what should I get Ben for his birthday? What would he like? And you were like, mm, voucher for the fish shop. I was like, cool. Phoned up the local fish shop, like, do you do gift vouchers? Yep, cool. Going through the transaction. And they were like, okay, so who's the name of, like, what's the name of the recipient? I was like, oh, Ben Tongue. And they're like, oh, we know Ben. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Ben comes in here all the time. He's actually uh, giving us some coral soon. I was Should like, I oh, be worried? Ben, big in the, big in the fish industry. Was she hot? Should I be worried? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're having a right old chat about fish. I was like, oh, oh God. Yeah. It's quite funny. He loves, he loves it so much. And, you know, I have to, like, I love it too. I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm not a reefer. But I have to try really... That's what they call themselves. Oh, but do I ha- they? Yeah, yeah, reefers. Um, but I have to try really hard to, like, be fully, in, you know, invested in it with him because otherwise he gets upset that I'm not interested in things that he loves. And I know you, you feel the same with Ant, but we try our best. We do try our best. And Ant will often be like... I'll ask him a question about a video game he's playing politely to, you know, kind of... and then. And then it's like 30 minutes of like intricate details. <laughs> yeah, and about... you're like, flat line. Yeah, by which point he's like, you're not listening anymore, are you? I'm like, I am, I am. Yeah, I was up to the part about the, the goblin. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I've got to quickly tell you as well before I go. And I was on the trampoline with Layla a couple of days ago and there was a dead dragonfly on there too. So I had a crisis about the dead dragonfly, which has gone into a dead bug box. You, you guys know about her dead bug box, which is full of like dead flies. <laughs> it's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the dra- dead dragon flies in there. Um, so, yeah, had a, just a, a week of death. Crises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the fish is living at the moment. So just everyone keep that fish in your thoughts today. Good. Let's hope it's <laughs> trying to escape again. Um, <laughs> uh, again, this could be a whole podcast episode in itself. But let's talk about today's episode and today's guest because... 
I, I mean, I, we've we've been fre- we've been friends with this person in the grief space for a long time, haven't we? And it's been yeah. on our kind of radar to get her on the pod. So it's so so good that we're joined by Karen Sutton today, who's actually the UK's first widow coach, um, one and only. And today's episode with Karen, it just gave me loads of insights about a lot of things, but most, I think, the most. The biggest thing that resonated with me is her advice on reframing how you ask for help. Because I think when we're grieving, it can often feel really hard to do that, can't it? Oh my God, yes. I remember how shit I was at telling people like what I needed because you just don't know when you're in the Mm -hmm. thick of it. You know, I had people asking, let me know if you need anything. I'm like, God, I do not know what I need, but I need something. Um, So that was really good advice and keep an ear out for it during the episode. Yes, and I also really liked her takeaway on why it's okay to be grateful, which, again, yeah. I think often we feel like we can't express any gratitude or joy when we're grieving and that we have to ask for permission. So, yeah, really great conversation. Before we get into it, just a really quick one, guys. We have actually partnered with My Tributes, which is a place where you can share your favourite memories of your loved one online. We always harp on about the importance of storytelling in honouring and keeping your loved one's memory alive and My Tributes is a brilliant place to do that. So if you want to know more and you want to share a story, have a look at the link in the show notes, check it out and let's jump in. Enjoy guys. Karen, it is so lovely to have you join us today. We have been looking forward to this conversation for ages. So thank you for coming on the pod. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. It's it's a real pleasure. Now, you are Britain's very first widow coach, and you're making such a genuine difference to the lives of those grieving the loss of a spouse. And it's a really important topic. So it's it's great to have you join us. And I just want to start by talking a bit about your personal story and what led you to do the really important work that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that day when you found out that life-changing news and how did you even start to process what had happened? It's a good question. How do you even start to process these things? That's like that is the the the, the big question, isn't it? How do we do that? I don't. I, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's a it's a it's a multitude of of things, isn't it, that come into play? But it was back in September 2016, and um, I was married to Simon. I was 39. He was 43. We had two girls. They were nine and five. And one Sunday morning, he got up, he went out for his his bike ride, which he, he tried to do a long one every weekend, had a big job, very stressful. Um, and that was the last I, I saw of him in the morning. He was literally here for breakfast and gone for lunch. The, the next thing I knew was at 11.30, his friend that he'd gone cycling with um, was at my door telling me that he'd died like what do you do I don't like I still it still makes sends a shiver down my spine now Mm. thinking about it um I immediately phoned my mum bless my mum I was like mum Simon's dead you've got to come around I I was thinking about the children You, you just so much goes through your mind right you're just all over the place thinking what what do I do with this what's what do I have to do next almost that practical kind of mode um 
obviously I had to tell my children their dad had died, which I, I did immediately. Didn't want to. I wanted to protect mm. them. Mm. Um, I remember saying to the police outside the house, because I didn't want them to come in. I didn't want that to be the, the memory for the girls. I don't really know why, but I didn't. And I remember saying to the police, I really wanted to see Simon. I almost had to see him to believe it, but it was a Sunday and I couldn't because he'd had to go to the coroner's office and you can't see somebody in the coroner's office on a Sunday. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to tell the girls daddy's had an accident so that I don't have to tell them he's dead yet because it, you, oh God, like that's just awful. Mm. Um, but the policeman was, bless him, through his own tears, to be fair, was, you know, my biggest advice would, would be to tell them the truth. Um, mm. So I did. And and not a pleasant thing to do at all, utterly heartbreaking. And then I had to go and tell his mum that her son had died. And then, of course, it, it kind of pans out, doesn't it, into everyone else mm. need to, to tell and just shock I just remember sitting in my dining room on that Sunday night with bless my whole family around me I'm so fortunate I am honestly it wasn't in lockdown I live in the the town that I grew up in I've got my mum my dad my sister my friends from school that the support I had I don't I don't think I'd be sat here now if I hadn't have had it in all honesty not that I'd, I'd have taken my life or anything I don't mean that but just that support system that is so needed and so invaluable mm. when you lose someone that you, you love, as, as you guys know. Um, and I just, I didn't know what to do. I was just sat there. I literally just sat there with all these people around me in in shock. I didn't want to go to bed because I didn't want to wake up the next morning and face mm. that. Mm. One hell of a journey, one hell of a journey. And, of course, you've got the run-up to the, the funeral and, and that keeps you busy because you, you, you're kind of taken on this step-by-step -step process. So it's something to focus on, right? And then the, the funeral comes and goes. And I have to say the day after the funeral, I vividly remember being one of the worst days in my grieving journey. Um, it's like a come down, isn't it? Because you've yeah. got the kind of all of the admin or the dead men, you know, you've yeah. got the funeral, you've got to kind of tell people and invite them to the funeral, you've got all the logistics, and then you've got to get through the service. And then and I think the funeral service is that real a big realization, isn't it as well? Like, yeah. that, that kind of that it's almost like, yeah, like a come down, like a like a reality check. And it's it really, really hard. And like for you to go from not only having to cope with the fact that your husband is dead, but then all of a sudden find the right words to tell your two daughters. Like, where do you even start with that? Because it's a difficult thing to deliver anyway. But then having no experience of it, I, I can imagine. Like, how did you even know what to say to them or where to start? Well, before Simon died, I was actually a nurse and a midwife. So I had actually delivered bad news to people before. N never anyone that obviously I, I was very close to. So I, I, 
I was fortunate in knowing that you have to use the words dead and died, um, mm. you, you know, because it, they get confused if you say, oh, they've passed away or they've they've gone to sleep or, you, you know, all these other kind of softer versions of it that we like to use because we don't like the words dead and died. So I, 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 I did, I was fortunate that I did have that. But again, the policeman reminded me of it because I've got to be honest, in that moment that had all escaped me, I wasn't thinking straight or logically and, and he did guide me and said you know make sure that you you are clear and and use the words um that make it clear to them otherwise Mm. they they make it up in their head um and I know and you know we still had an incident with that because a friend of mine for some reason she still really can't say the word dead or died and she always says passed Mm. away um and she's always used that and I remember my youngest um when she was about six so probably a year after Simon died she came into my room one morning and she felt a bit funny and I could see she was a bit gray and she said oh my god I feel a bit dizzy and funny I said it's all right darling just lie down on the bed we'll put your legs up take a few deep breaths. I said, it, you know, it looks like you might pass out, but it's okay, I'm here. But when I said passed out, she freaked out. She, oh my God, oh. no, I don't want to die, mummy. No, I don't want to. And I, and I, I didn't understand. I hadn't connected the dots. Yeah. Um, but it soon became clear that she thought passed passing out was passing away and she was going to die and I, it, I you know so it is really important isn't it that we use the right language but how harsh is it it just feels so harsh and so brutal doesn't it to say to somebody they've died they've, mm. they've gone they're dead um so yeah I, I I kind of I just said it as it was to them yeah I mean, it's not an easy conversation to have with anyone, let alone children, and you're dealing with your own grief on top of that, which we'll get into a little bit more. But I just want to jump back. You mentioned that you were well supported by your friends and family in the community there, but grief is lonely. So I want to know, even though you were well supported, how did loneliness show up for you? Because I know, you know, you've lost the person that you've built your life with, your partner, you're confident, everything rolls into that role. So, yeah, how did loneliness show up for you? Loneliness is horrible, you know. Mm. It, it just, I remember I turned 40 about six months after Simon dies in the following April, and um, I had a big party, a big party. There was a lot of people there, and it's it's you can be surrounded, can't you? You can be absolutely mm. surrounded by the people that love you most in the world and still feel incredibly lonely even though you're not alone and 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 it's such a deep cutting feeling it's 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 a real pining it's a physical need desire urge for somebody that person that you've lost and there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can and that's the brutal reality of it you know, I did. I, I threw myself into social media. I, I, I started dating in the May after Simon died because I was so lonely and I was so sad. And I very much looked outward to to fill that void. You know, I did. I started going out at the weekends and being quite sociable, drinking, trying to escape that my reality, the, the pain and the hurt. I went on dates to, to try and find somebody to to help me feel less alone. I would spend a lot of time on social media. But do you know what? None of it, none of it really helps. Like the loneliness is harsh. And and you do, you just you've for me, I think it's so important that you build that relationship with yourself mm. and you you do have to get used to the loneliness and do things 
with it with that in that time that fill you up mm-hmm. that support you in some way and and don't drain you and and take more out of you which a lot <clears throat> excuse me a lot of what I was doing was taking was draining me um but 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 sitting with that pain and that hurt and and that that isolation is is tough I did reach out to organize, organizations like widowed and young um, because I needed to be around people that got it and I think that is one of the the biggest factors I think that that community um to to normalize and validate what you're feeling because like everything that you experience is just on the biggest level ever and it's huge and you're you're swamped by everything that's going on you don't understand it you're thrown into a world you don't recognize anymore you don't feel like you fit in your friendships feel different your family feels different your social life is affected it like every corner of your world you don't have normal to go back home to anymore Mm. and and it is incredibly lonely and it's incredibly hard and I think it's normal for us to go out and try and fill that void and and fix it externally I I do um until you reach a point where you go this this isn't actually filling that void because nothing can I've I've got to find a way of growing around this and and learning to to like me and understand me and who I am and what I need in in this time, which mm-hmm. is which is hard and it and it takes a lot of time and patience is huge, isn't it? In grief, not something that we have a lot of, I don't think, in this <laughs> in this day and age. It is, and it's hard to sit with your pain and it's hard to look inwards and 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 ride through that immense hurt and pain. And I'd love to know two things. What helped you when you decided it was time to stop looking outward and to turn inward to help you move forward? And also, you mentioned just then that relationships change, friendships change, your social situation change. And I'd love to know more about that as well, because that's an area that's huge when you when you lose somebody, but also when you lose your significant other. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'd love to know how you cope with that. That was tough, and it's it's like um it's it's like more loss actually because you know you've lost your person, you lose your sense of self, your your confidence, and that impacts your your relationship with others, and that's really hard because as well sometimes you find yourself resenting the people that you love, that love you, that are there for you. Sometimes you're looking at them. You know, friends would come to my house and they would be so kind. They'd bring me food. They'd spend the evening with me and then they'd go home. They'd go back to their normal, to their husbands, to their families. And in those moments, I resented them. You know, just all these uncomfortable, messy feelings would bubble up inside of me. And then I'd judge myself harshly and think, Karen, like you're you're being really unkind. You're being cruel. Like, don't be that person. I was so scared of my grief turning me into this bitter, sorry, angry, resentful person that every time I experienced any of those emotions or feelings. I I was straight on it and I was judging it and I was fighting it rather than understanding actually it's, it's normal. It's normal. It's part of your grieving process. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're not going to feel like this forever, but you don't know that at the time, do you? It feels permanent. It feels like you're forever changed into that version of yourself. And, and that's uncomfortable. And I think, 
I had to kind of be honest with some of my friends and share how I was feeling because they don't know. How can they know? They don't know that everything feels different to you now and you don't you can't connect with them on the same level. You're what you had in common before, the things that you shared, those lived experiences, they're not there for me anymore. I, I can't sit and complain about my husband because he's dead. And and actually when you sit and complain about your husband because he's gone off to work away for the week quite frankly I just want to punch him in the face because like really I don't care that you're you, he's going to come back <laughs> yeah you know and so I, I can't I had to there came a point where I had to open up to the people that I had the the close enough connection with some relationships I lost along the way um and and they did fizzle out some came back again after a few years um I made new relationships with new people but God, it's so hard that you have to find new ways almost of connecting with the people that you have in your life and navigating that way forward to finding out who you are. And I think going back to to Sal's original question of of how did I do that, I had to invest in me Mm. after about two and a half years of going out, of drinking, of dating, partying, and, and realizing none of it worked, I decided to invest in me, which was which wasn't a comfortable choice because when do we ever invest in us? When do we ever sort of put our money on the table and and kind of go, this is about me. This this is what I need to do to help me. We don't. It's always about everyone else. Um, so it was a bit of a leap of faith. I invested in a life coach. Didn't even know what a life coach was at that point. I thought. What's that? that that's got to be an American thing. <laughs> um, and and you know what? Within six months, I'd I'd just completely and utterly turned my life around. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't perfect. I hadn't solved all my problems. I wasn't sort of jumping through through hoops and feeling amazing. But I had some clarity. I'd had I had confidence. I understood who I was. I'd worked on my values, um, my strengths, my weaknesses, you know, all those sort of characteristics that we have in life and how they serve us. Mm-hmm. What served me, what didn't, what helped me, what supported me. Um, and and that, that, it was at that point that I just did completely understand more about myself and my grieving journey and where I was heading to in life and what I wanted Good on you. I'm bloody proud of you for doing that and investing yourself. And it's not easy when you're grieving, but it's also not easy when you're a single mum raising two kids as well, like to set aside any sort of time for yourself. So I'm yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you're able to get to that place. And another big topic that we know affects many widows and widowers is secondary losses and all of the other things that you're grieving. You're not just grieving the death of your person, you're grieving so many other things. So can you share a little bit about your experience with secondary losses? Oh my God. You know what? They just keep coming when you, <laughs> where do you begin? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It is, it's, it's, it honestly is everything. It, it comes down to the, the practicalities of, of life, the finances, you know, the, you know, your income, um your your person's roles and responsibilities for me another secondary loss was my career you know I I was a nurse and a midwife I wasn't able to go back after Simon died because I wasn't capable of of being safe in in my practice and actually after six months I thought you know I, I have got I was very fortunate in that I was able to kind of say I'm going to take two years to just focus on myself and the girls and and get through 
our our grief that, that those first two years of our grief and and support them and be there for them but that was huge that was a that was a huge loss for me I was so proud of that you know when people said to me what do you do I was like I'm a midwife I work for the NHS like and they're always prompted amazing conversations and now people are saying what do you do and I'm like oh I just done at home with my kids <laughs> do, you, do you know like yeah it, it felt massive holidays you know Christmases um just day-to-day shopping, living, paying the bills. Do you, do you know, it, again, the relationships comes back to that, your social life. Intimacy, do you know, the, the cuddles, the love, the affection that you get from your, your person, they are endless. And as you keep moving through your grief, they do keep coming because you've got that the loss of your your future, your hopes, your dreams. The, you're, the, you're the sole memory holder now. You know, all the things that you did mm. with your person and you have those conversations that you kind of, do you remember we did this? Well, where were we? And you haven't got, like, you haven't got that person to say that to anymore and, and share those things with. And and you just, like I say, as you keep moving through your grief, you keep going, oh, it's another one. Oh, I haven't got that anymore. I don't, I don't have the answers to this, so I don't know what to do with that. And I'm never going to be able to achieve that with my person. Um, so they're really hard. They're really hard. They're like constant reminders and triggers, aren't they, to, to what you've lost. It's so incredibly hard. And I think a lot of them can be quite logistical as well. Like you said, you know, it's your job and then finances and and all of those things. For anyone listening who might be navigating that at the moment, is there anything that really helped you deal with some of those logistical secondary losses? Um, Well, help. (laughs) Do do you know, like, I think it's so hard, isn't it? Because we feel like such a burden, we feel like such a burden. We don't like asking for help. We want to be independent. We want to do it by ourselves. And, you know, and I always say to people in my community, you know, you're not a burden. You have a burden. And it's okay to ask people to help you carry that burden for a while. And when it comes to the practical things, you, you know, reach out. People want to help and they don't know how to. And I think if we can help them to help us, it helps everyone. And that feels rubbish, right? I get it. It does feel rubbish that whilst I'm trying to navigate all this, I've also got to think about how other people can help me. Surely they should just know, they should understand. It's not difficult. I don't even know what I want sometimes. Should somebody just come and give me the answers and do the things for me? It's more frustration. But actually, if we can reframe it and think, do you know, right here, right now, in this season of my life, I need a little bit of help. And people want to help me. They don't know how. And that's not their fault because we do live in a grief illiterate society, don't we? You know, we shy away from it. We don't really know what what helps others. So, you know, again, I was really lucky. My sister had created a, a WhatsApp support group. I wasn't in this group. But if I ever spoke to anybody and mentioned that I needed something doing, somebody would go into that group and say, this needs doing. Anyone got any help, advice, support, whether it was finances, jobs around the house, booking holidays, anything, picking up the kids, um, getting me to appointments, speaking to a solicitor. Do do you know, like, because they're quite big, scary things on your own. Um, And it would go into this group and somebody would say, I can help with that. You know, some of my friends' husbands were brilliant at helping me with the the financial side of things and making decisions with, you know, people I trusted and and could go to. Um, I had a a financial advisor as well, which was really helpful. But 
it's not expecting yourself to do it all. You know, when you lose a life partner, it really is sort of double the workload and half the workforce. And we expect ourselves to do our role that we always did before. We then take on our person's roles and responsibilities that they had in the relationship. And then you've got grief, which is a full-time job all by itself, right? You know, that Amen. Things off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of go, don't expect yourself to do it all. That's, that's not kind. That's not being compassionate to you and, and your needs. Like, reach out, ask for the help. People will want to help you. Yes. Great advice. Self-compassion is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, right? And to to ask for help. And sometimes we don't know how to do that. But it's just it can be just simple as being like, I just I really don't know what to do. Yeah. I just need yeah. somebody to step in for me, right? Yeah, exactly. I love what you said as well. We're not a burden. We have a burden. Is that what you said, right? That's great. Because yeah. we we do feel quote like Quote of the burdens. week, that is, Karen. I love that. That's going on a quote on Insta. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we do. You know, we all feel like burdens. I had a friend call me today and she was going through a bit of stuff and she was just, you know, sad on the phone and she kept apologising. She's like, I'm so sorry for calling you. I don't want to feel like a burden. I'm like, please call me anytime you feel like this. Like, I want to help. People want to help. You know, we put it on ourselves to think that nobody wants to help us. I'm just not going to bother anyone with what's going on. But yeah, it's, I love that. I love that quote. And Karen, you have two beautiful daughters who are also grieving the loss of their dad. How the bloody hell did you cope cope with like the demands of single parenting and also managing their grief on top of your own? Do you know what? It's so hard. And I recently did a podcast on this myself, you know, parenting whilst grieving because mm. it is hard. You, It's finding the balance between showing your children your grief to normalise it for them, you know, because that they are experiencing what you're experiencing, you know, and they don't have the, the mental capabilities to to put that into words, to articulate what's going on for them. They can't make sense of it. Um, So as much as, yes, I would cry in front of them, I would share with them how I was feeling. I also didn't want them to see me when I was collapsed on the kitchen floor one night. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but that's grief. You know, I just remember... I was in the kitchen. I'd I'd been fighting it all day. And all of a sudden... I just, it, you know, and it just comes out. And, and I, I was making these horrible noises. I was in a heap on the floor mm. and, and I didn't know what to do. And I remember just calling a friend going, can you come around? I, I need you to just sit with the kids or do something with the kids. Cause I, I, I'm in this meh. I don't think I made a lot of sense, but um, you don't want them to see you in that state because that's scary for them, but, but you want them to see that you're sad so that it normalizes it for them. So whilst trying to let a bit out, but not all of it out. Like it just feels impossible at times, and and you can sense that you know that they're, they're, they're you know walking around the supermarket, you're driving somewhere in the car, and a song comes on, and it just all of a sudden this wave washes over you, and the kids are in the car, and you're trying to function normally, and the tears are, are streaming whilst you're trying to fight it, and the kids are like, "What's what's wrong, mummy?" And you're like, "I just feel a bit sad," and then you can see that they don't really know what to say or do. Um, my children grieve very very differently my eldest just 
almost felt like she had to step up, I think, and, and look after me and be another adult in the house and help me bring up my youngest daughter. And she didn't want to add any extra pressure onto me by showing me her grief. So she very much put up a, a barrier and, and didn't talk about it. Just, just mm. didn't, she never, I have to say, it's only in the last year or so, and I'm coming up seven years that she started to say to me, I miss dad. I miss him and it's sad and I've got and so really you know for nearly six years she never cried she never said I miss him she never let it all out and went this is rubbish I want my daddy and nothing there was no expression my youngest god you know in the early days I couldn't comfort her it was just oozing out of everything And, and I couldn't calm her down but I would lean on a family and friends but we've got charities in the UK Winston's Wish I know there's others as well Child Bereavement UK but I use Winston's Wish they they were based near where I live Um, and they had a a call a line that you could call 24-7 and the amount of times I did you know and and they were brilliant at giving me tips and I think one of the the best things I think two things actually the the school gave the children a card that just had a picture of a home on it and said, if you're ever in school and you feel funny and you want to go home, you don't have to say anything, just show me this card and I will phone your mum and and she can come and pick you up and you can go home. And I think that gave, they never used it. They never used it. But I think they knew that it was there and it was safe for them. Do do you know? And I think that's Mm. so comforting for children. So that was amazing. But also having something tangible for children with my youngest, when she would just lose herself in her grief and I couldn't comfort her, I couldn't cut, she would fight me. She was screaming. It was horrible. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. But they said to me, create a box. So I had in this box, um, some cards that the girls had written to their dad, cards that the dad had written to the girls, um, some of his handwriting, his watch, his wedding rings. We had a lock of his hair, um, pictures, a, a jumper, just stuff that she could. And it worked. It was like magic. She, well, I would just take her <clears throat> when she started to break down. We'd go and sit down. I'd put some music on. She loved the song that we played at the funeral, Caravan of Love. And she'd like play the song. We'd put the song on and she would just sit and go through this box. And she'd calm down. And she oh, would wow. just sit and we'd talk about him. And it, and it was like, wow, I would never have thought that would be the thing that helped, but it really did. And I think it's, it's, the, it's the co-regulation, isn't it? It's the sitting with them and just calming yourself down. I think the more uptight you're all getting and the more upset you're all getting, you just feed each other. So I think it's, it's really helpful to learn some things that either getting out, being in nature, going for a walk, putting some music on, breathing, calming your, yourselves down. I think things like that are really helpful as well. But but what works for one child won't work for another. So you're forever just like trying all these different techniques and tools to, to try and gain some normality in your home whilst navigating everyone's grief. And and I find it hard because I'm a very open person, as you can tell. I just talk and talk and talk. And I will share how I'm feeling. My eldest, because she shut down, we clashed. We clashed because I, I couldn't get through to her. And that was really difficult for me. But she found my openness uncomfortable. 
So it, it's really tricky terrain to navigate, you know, and, and there's no dressing up. And again, I think you have to ask people for help. You have to keep the lines of communication open. And it's and for me, I think spending time with my children, and I was fortunate, I was really fortunate that I could take that time off work and, and be with them as much as I could, um, you know, in between trying to, to sort myself out as well and trying to have some fun. As much as those first two years were horrendous and they really were, that, you know, I always refer to the first two years as the early days, um, the hardest. But, you know, it doesn't mean it just suddenly gets easier after two years and it, it's all sorted, but I think it's the, those early two de- two years. Um, I also had some amazing times you know we achieved some incredible things we went to Disneyland we went to Lapland and saw Father Christmas we had a an amazing family holiday I learned to tow the caravan all by myself we went off and 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 did that together we had amazing days out we went to London and did the open top bus so as much as it was horrendous I really love to just highlight actually amongst the hurt and the pain and the heartache you will be making some memories as well that you will take forward with you. And I now look back on some of those times, even in those first very early days, those first two years, and, and they bring a smile to my face. And I kind of go, do you know what? That was amazing. And, and that was lovely, actually, um, as well as acknowledging that it was properly horrendous as well. It's a real paradox, isn't it? And I think in the early days, you think, how can I possibly ever feel happy again? But actually, grief and joy can coexist. And some people in the early stages might think that sounds absolutely bonkers. But you're right. Like, there are moments when you look back and think there were light moments throughout that really dark time, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think you have, to, you have to look for the good. You do, you know, however dark it gets and however hard it gets. And I'm not saying this. I don't I don't want this to sound like sort of that toxic positivity where you can't acknowledge the hurt and the pain. I'm really not. You know, I think it's important to to learn to sit with that, like you say, and to face it. But I think also to allow yourself to look for the good, to acknowledge what feels good to you in your situation. I I did a retreat last weekend for widows here in the UK and I was sat chatting to one of the ladies and, and she said, she started off her sentence saying, you know, I'm really grateful for, and then she stopped herself, went, oh no, I can't say grateful. I can't say, I'm not grateful. And I said, you can, you can say you're grateful. It's really important to acknowledge the loss and the heartache and the hurt and the despair and the fear and the anxiety, but also what is still good? What are you grateful for amongst your darkness? Because my God, it just helps us find our way through and allow us to recognize like you say, that the paradox, the two live side by side and they're both necessary in your healing journey. You can't sit in, in either space permanently. It's finding that balance. Totally. And I think also when we're grieving, I think we sometimes we feel like we can't say we're grateful for something, that we should always be in that space of like, there's nothing to be grateful for, everything's shit. And some people are in that space. But I think we feel like if we say something like, oh, you know, I appreciate that or I'm grateful for this. It's almost like we're being, there's a, it moves into the space of toxic positivity. But but Dr. Lucy Hone talks about being grateful and um, thinking about the good things is how you build resilience yes. in time, in difficult times. Yeah. It, but it's a tricky one, I think, for grievers. We feel like if we say, oh, I'm grateful for something, 
that people are going to think, all oh, right, you don't really like that. We don't have a right to be grateful. So it's really important that you raise that point. And you mentioned just then that you did a widow's retreat recently. So tell us, like, what made you decide to become the UK's first widow coach? Because it's pretty awesome. And can you also tell us, like, what are some of the really common things that you see from your clients? So the, the reason I started was, was you know, I'd obviously been through my own journey and I'd been out there looking for, for support, which I'd found peer support and it was brilliant, but I wanted more. You know, I really want, like, how do I build that resilience? How do I create a life that can feel good again for myself? You know, I was very determined after Simon died, this was not going to have a negative impact on us for the rest of our lives. You know, this wasn't going to define us in that. I didn't want to become a victim of life, nor the girls. And... I didn't know how I was going to do that. So I thought, right, I've got, I've got to find a way. I've got to figure this out. Um, obviously, when I'd invested in myself and, and had my own life coaching and, and discovered all these tools that I could use, like allowing myself to use the word grateful, allowing myself to look for the good and, and building that resilience and working on connections, finding my way forward, creating what felt good for me. Um, I thought, you know what, if I can do this, I'm just a normal person, you know, living a normal life. So can everyone else. And I thought I want to share it. And I just started off talking to people here in, in my office at home in the garden um, and, and helping people locally. But actually lockdown came along and, and then it just I discovered Zoom and, and it kind of went global. And I now support people all over the world because it just it's so important to me. It's become a passion of mine and it's my absolute life's purpose to give people the tools, you know, to understand how they can rebuild again, you know, re reimagine a life after loss that can still be beautiful. Yes, it'll be different. Of course it will, but different doesn't mean bad and, and allowing themselves to, to do that whilst working through the guilt and the fear and the anxiety and the self-doubt, you know, all those things that, that, that impact us um, and helping them make choices that, that serve them. So, you know, it's just it, now I love doing it. I love bringing people together. Do you know what's really magic when you bring people together that are going through something similar? Now, it's not the same. We all do this in our own unique ways. But when you bring widows together, something magical happens. It really does. And being part of that and witnessing that is just the best feeling in the world because you all come together and you share and you grow and you support and, and you're there to bolster each other up and cheer each other on, knowing that somebody else gets it. You're not being judged. A bit like you said, you worry about if you say the word grateful or I'm pleased or I'm happy or you show that you're having fun in some way. What will people think? Surely I've got to be dark and depressed and crying all the time. But when you're with other widows and maybe you do, you know, you do have a laugh. It's lots of fun. You like, we laughed so much at, at the retreat last weekend. Um, but you know that they're not just seeing that thing. You know that the people around you understand that underneath all of that is, is still a, a lot of sadness. Um, you asked me another question and I've forgotten it, Sally. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. Um, I love my double questions. It's, um, <laughs> um, I, I've, I'd love to know what some of the common themes that you see from clients. Like, is there, you know, something that that a lot of people come to you struggling with um, or find difficult to cope with when they're widowed? Yeah, definitely. Loneliness, 
absolutely disconnect. They're just feeling like they don't fit in a world anymore. Um, like we were saying about how, how all our relationships are impacted when you lose a life partner. They just don't know where you sit in in the life that you had, not knowing where you're heading, not knowing who you are, what it is you want, feeling like half of you has died alongside your person, not having the confidence in yourself to make choices and decisions, not understanding the grief, you know, grief is is huge and it's scary and there's, you know, people don't really talk about it, right? Um, so they're not understanding what they're experiencing and, and it is that, that self-judgment, that self-criticism is absolutely huge in people, you know, and, and really helping them to reframe a lot of their thoughts, their beliefs, you know, I, I say it's almost like unlearning everything you thought you knew and relearning a completely new way um, mm. and helping people go through that process. And I think, you know, just helping them trust in themselves again, cultivate that inner belief that, do you know what? I may not have all the answers because you don't. You have a lot of questions, a lot of questions and no answers. And people want the, we want the answers. We want to know where we don't like uncertainty. You know, what what's on the other side of, of the uncertainty? It's scary. We want to know exactly where we're heading and exactly where we're going. And it is, you know, helping them understand that you will figure this out. It's like a mantra in my community. I don't know yet but I will figure it out. And maybe the answers won't come exactly when I demand them or need them or, or ask of them, but they will come there. And this is what I say to everyone. And I think it's really important. You have everything you need within you. Like we all do, right? We do have the answers. We do have the, the capacity to find our way through great tragedy and trauma in life, you know? doesn't feel like that it really doesn't feel like that and I've and I felt that too I was like I can't do this nothing's ever going to feel the same again um and I hear that so much and you know my life isn't going to ever be good what's the point Mm. it can it can it'll take a long time it does take work and, and effort you can create something alongside your grief and and you know I'd say really that for the most part it's the disconnect and I think that's why it's so powerful bringing people together into these communities because it helps with all of those factors. Community is everything. It's something that has just helped Sal and I both so much. And just, yeah, thanks for sharing so many great messages there as well. But back on the um, gratitude point, like gratitude is something that actually got me through. And every morning when I'd wake up and I'd be like, my mum's dead, what's the fucking point of anything? I would write down three things that I was grateful for that would get me out of bed because nothing else was going to get me out of bed. So I think gratitude can be really a really helpful tool in grief, at finding the light in, in the dark days. And um, I love something that Julia Samuel t- told us when we interviewed her and she explained that like hope is something that you have to cultivate, like it's a plan. And you have to believe that you can get there. And I love that, you know, so for the days when people are feeling really hopeless and like there is no point and and nothing is ever going to get better again, like you can kind of switch your mindset into believing that it can. And I think that's really important for people to do when you are in the depths of grief. Yeah, it's almost like a learned skill, isn't it? Like having that hope, that resilience, like it's a a muscle that we have to build. Mm. It is. And, and, you know, I love Julia Samuel. She's amazing, isn't she? I'm always saying to, to people, go follow her. Queen of but, grief. Yes, <laughs> it is. But, you know, hope on its own isn't enough, is it? You have to take 
action, you know, and, and I think, you know, guilt's another big one, isn't it, that comes up for us all. We feel guilty that, that we're here and we get to live and that we want to live again after our person's died. Like what gives us that that right? But like you say, just having that hope within you that, that you can do it. And I think when you bring people together and you see that others have found that, you know, that, that, that healing in community, I think is, is really important. Having like that open heart and open minds to new ways, to new possibilities, to new ideas, to, to a, a new life uh, ahead of you, but also, you know, that, that personal development side and empowering yourself to to find your way through it it's it's not easy work it's not easy work but it's little things and gratitude can feel like a big word you know you said there him about you know writing down three things I'm grateful for sometimes that can feel big and I remember David Kessler um said when I did his grief educators program you know sometimes that can feel too big sometimes focus on the wins you know that that can feel like more achievable depending on where you are in in your grief journey and actually those wins will turn into gratitude but those little things that you kind of go that feels like a win that feels like something that I can feel pleased about today here and now Mm, in my journey totally and sometimes it's getting out of bed putting one foot in front of the other right like that is a win having a shower having a shower honestly like small things like that like just Mm going micro and Karen like often with like grievers can face societal expectations that we should be moving on at a certain you know pace or that we should be grieving in a certain way and you mentioned earlier that you know relationship dynamics change and also there's like there can be expectations of others on how we move forward you said also that you that you did throw yourself into dating and then you pull back a little bit. Have you dipped your toe back in the dating pool? Did you find that there were lots of kind of societal expectations on you? How did you navigate them? Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been like post kind of doing the inner work when it comes to dating? Yeah, so I I I pulled back from from online dating, um, and I met somebody um, at a, an event that I did with a friend. We were raising some money for for Winston's Wish, and I met him there. He came with his brother, um, so we met very organically, which was lovely actually. And and we're still together now. It's been four years, and it's been incredible. There are expectations from society, but I think we take them on ourselves as well a little bit and we place them on ourselves, which in some respects I think are are a little bit more challenging because we're not always aware of the expectations that that we place on ourselves. And and, dating is really difficult because I think there's that fear of judgment, isn't there? But like I always say to people, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, if you don't meet somebody else and you dedicate the rest of your life to your to your person, then they're like, oh, you know, she's being miserable. She's wallowing in it. She's not moving on. Like, and then they've got all these sort of assumptions of, of how you're dealing with it. And then if you do meet somebody else, they're like, oh, she got over that quite quickly, didn't she? She's yeah. moved on. She doesn't love him anymore. <laughs> so you... you you almost like can't win. Um, and I think for us as well, when we decide that we want to, to cultivate a new relationship and and grow something with somebody, it's hard for, and it was certainly hard for me, and I hear it a lot in my community, 
understanding how you love two people because it's you, you don't stop loving your person that died whereas often when a relationship breaks down that then you know and you you get divorced or you split up or whatever and, and I'm, I'm not comparing but you, for the most part you tend to fall out of love with that person um mm-hmm. is my understanding of it i could be wrong but um when somebody dies you don't you don't fall out of love with them and how do you then fall in love with somebody else and make space for it both and it's really hard to understand even when you're going through it but you know i think there comes a point where you have to look at what you're afraid of other people judging you for and the expectations they're placing on you and you know are they fair are they real are they is it true are you, are you assuming that others are placing these because a lot of people come to me and say oh you know I feel like you know they're expecting this of me and that of me and I say but why do you feel that is it because it's something that they've said or done or are you making an assumption about what they're expecting of you? Do you know? We've got to be really careful of that because we make a lot of stuff up, don't we, mm-hmm. in our heads. And then I kind of turn it and like, are you is that an expectation that you have on yourself maybe, that there's some pressure coming from within? Um, so I think it's always interesting to get curious about these expectations that we believe others have um, and also assess the expectations that we have on ourselves mm-hmm. and always just meet everything with, with that compassion. Like you would a best friend, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's so simple, but it's not easy to do. Like the, the idea of it, the theory is simple, isn't it? Just, just be kind to yourself, talk to yourself like you would a best friend, but we don't, we, we're not, we're not used to to having that internal dialogue, that compassionate voice in our head. So it, it, a lot of it comes down to an awareness, but also just, again, the confidence to understand that you know what you need and follow your heart. And I always get this expression mixed up, but I love it. Um, those that matter don't mind, and those that mind don't matter. Yes. Because it's just so true. You know, the people close enough to you that understand, they won't mind. They'll support you, whatever you do, you know. And the others, people are going to think, people are going to judge. That's It's, the, it's human nature. Um, and I think you have to get to a point where you go, it's okay. I'm going to let them because I'm doing what feels good to me. And I know in myself that the choices I'm making are supporting me. They're kind to me. And and I have people around me that understand that and care. And, and that's that's good enough. Great advice. And this this topic comes up a lot within our community, mainly, I think, from the kids of the parents who are now in new relationships. But how did your girls cope with that transition of you moving into a new relationship? Did, did they find it really difficult? How did you tell them? So my youngest was all up for it. She, she <laughs> quite quickly after Simon died was like, mummy, when am I going to have a new daddy? <laughs> so oh, like, wow. We were in the supermarket once and, and somebody was helping me pack my bags, you know, at the end of the counter. I think, you know, I was struggling with it all. And she just sort of went, mummy, why don't you marry him? He's nice. It was just <laughs> embarrassing. I was like, oh, well, I'm nice. I was like, sorry about my daughter. <laughs> So when I met Andy, she was she loved it. She she craved that male companion, 
you know, presence in her life. Um, and and she was, how old would she have been? Eight, I think. Um, and she was quite little and, and he would carry her and, and she Aww. she loved it, absolutely loved it. My eldest was was more reserved, I think, worried. We'd between the three of us, we'd created such an amazing bond. We'd done amazing things. We don't get me wrong, it wasn't perfect. We fought and we all drove each other mad and that's life, right? But there was also this this connection that was strong, that was real. And and I was their only parent. And I think they'd become so used to it being the three of us, you know, three three odd years in a child's life's a long time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt safe. And I think my eldest was worried that Andy would come into our lives and change everything and take me away from them. And I wouldn't be around for them as much as I was. And, and she was scared of the change that that would bring. So she was quite resistant. We had to be very gentle with her. And I had to, do you know, and I got it a bit from my mother-in-law as well. She Don't get me wrong. She was amazing. But I think there was that real fear of change. And if I met somebody else, what impact is that going to have on everyone's life? It's Is Simon going to be forgotten? Are we going to have to take down yeah. all the pictures? Are, are you guys going to just create this life and we're not going to be as significant in yours? So it took a lot of reassurance and a lot, lot of love that... Andy isn't replacing Daddy or Simon. You know, it's he's a wonderful man. He's gentle. You know, I had to reassure, especially my eldest, that she would always be my priority. Always, always be my first port of call in life to make sure everything was okay and, and nobody would, would ever take that away. And if she wasn't ever happy with anything, I was absolutely 100% there for her. So... I think you have to be gentle, you have to be understanding and you have to be very, be very reassuring mm-hmm. um, that you're still 100% there for them. That's what my children needed. And, and now, you know, it, it, it works. It's, it's lovely. And, I, and I, feel, I feel safe in a world that I never thought I'd feel safe in again. And I feel loved in a way that I never thought I'd feel loved again. And it's lovely. And I'm very very blessed and very grateful for all of that because I you know I know it's not easy we are so happy to hear you say that Karen and thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your amazing nuggets of wisdom I can see why you're an amazing coach um just so many helpful things that hopefully anyone listening who's coping with you know the loss of a partner or spouse or just in grief in general will have lots of comfort and lots of amazing takeaways and I think we've definitely got a few quote tiles that are going to be coming in hot from this conversation hey Im going to keep me busy on the old canva (laughs) for sure (laughs) and Karen for anyone listening who wants to find out more about what you do or connect with you can you tell us where they can find you Sure. I mean, I've got my website, uh, karensutton.co.uk, or I'm I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, even. Oh, kickers! <laughs> oh, yes, Karen. We'll have to follow you. <laughs> Are you on Threads, or is that a step too far? I haven't. I haven't. I do you know. <laughs> it's too much, isn't it? It's too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah anywhere anywhere you can find me um I'm, i've also got my own podcast the widow podcast as well which i, I know helps people immensely it's which a brilliant excellent. podcast so go and check that out and we will add some of these resources in the show notes as well for our listeners so they can find you easily and thank you thank you for your time it's just been amazing chatting to you so many quotes so inspiring and we've just loved every minute of it 
Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's been lovely. As always, a huge thanks for tuning in, guys. We really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. And before we go, we have a little favor to ask. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast, as it really helps other grievers find us too. Until next time. Bye.